What's up, y'all? This is Ramel Watley, and welcome to Truck and Hustle, the podcast for trucking entrepreneurs. If you want to learn about the trucking industry from the business side of things, you're in the right place. Every week, I interview the people who are making it happen on a daily basis. I get them to share their successes, their failures, and sometimes even their secrets. The goal is to show you how you too can create financial freedom in the booming trucking industry. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So I invest in companies and help them grow. There are lots of great companies out there, uh, but very few of them that are really differentiated. We look for businesses that have some sort of edge. The best companies are formed or built during the hardest times. And we're in the middle of a freight recession, and that's hard. That's hard for all of us. But if you figure out how to succeed during these conditions, you're going to be super well positioned for next year and beyond. Turn my mic up. Take there, yeah, yeah, uh, on the road to the riches, life takes a toll like bridges, good friends become foes and snitches, better watch who knows in your business. He said, well, I admired your tenacity. So I said, great, well, why don't you be my first client? Okay. So we ended up building uh, building out this investment bank. We, we did over 50 deals, mergers and acquisitions with, with all these companies. And then, you know, I... I Saved some money, made some money, and decided to start investing uh, in, in companies and logistics. So I formed Cambridge Capital in 2010, and really it all started with a guy named Brad Jacobs. So I met Brad in 2010. He came to our conference. We have over 300 CEOs in logistics and supply chain that come to Palm Beach every January. And Brad says, you don't know me, but I built four companies from nothing to over a billion. My next business is going to be in logistics. And I hear I'm supposed to talk to you. (laughs) Hey, okay. So we we had a conversation and spent some time talking strategy. Um, Ultimately, looked at a series of ideas together. Brad ends up buying a a public company called Express One. Uh, I co-invested a little bit with him. It should have been more. And that was XPO. And then uh, things ramped up from there. So uh, that's how Cambridge started. Okay, got it. Cool. So you're a private equity firm. So for someone who may not understand what that is, explain that in lay lay terms, what your job is. How would you explain that? Yeah. So I invest in companies and help them grow. And so... What I've, I've had the privilege of investing in a series of companies. We have eight portfolio companies now. Some of them are in logistics software. Some of them are, some of them are in services like truck brokerage. Uh, but in all cases, the model is really simple. We're investing in the companies, private companies, sometimes buying a stake from somebody else, sometimes investing to give the money to, uh, to grow or to spend money on tech or hire more people. But in all cases, it's we write a check, we get involved, we take a board seat. Uh, and we help them grow. And in some cases, like Green Screens, which is a software company that helps trucking and truck brokerage companies do predictive pricing so they could be more accurate, the growth has been amazing. Like they grew over 500% last year. Oh, wow. And, and so, you know, I think, I think uh, it, it really comes down to picking great people to invest in and then bringing resources that help them, whether it's our network. Uh, all the relationships with like the 350 plus CEOs that were at our conference two weeks ago, right. uh, people we can help them hire, technology we can help them with or otherwise. Got it. So you, you've invested and in, in, like you said, been a part of $2 billion worth of deals, right? What are some of the similarities that you see in those companies that you get involved in and what kind of makes you want to in- get involved in a company? Yeah. So here's what I look for. The first thing is the founder or the CEO. Is the CEO someone that we think is a smart high integrity, results-oriented winner. Uh, all those things matter, right? I mean, 
without integrity, nothing else matters. You could have integrity, but if you don't have the work ethic and drive and the ability to figure out how to overcome problems, then you never overcome the natural uh, twists and turns that go with building a business. And then results, because we're all judged on results in the end. So, That's right. So number one's the leader. You know, is he or she a great leader and a successful business builder? Number two is the business. Are they doing something special? Uh, there are lots of great companies out there uh, but very few of them are really differentiated. We look for businesses that have some sort of edge. You know, in the case of Everest, which is a truck brokerage company, one of their edges was they actually had an offshore team of people doing the freight brokerage work, you know, customer service and support uh, offshore. In Unfortunately, it was in Ukraine, which we can talk about more later if you want. <laughs> okay. but, uh, but that gave them an advantage. Great labor, smart people, higher margin, you know, that was an edge. In the case of green screens, it was the best AI, the best technology for doing predictive pricing. Uh, and so, you know, looking for some sort of an edge. The third thing is we want to see that there's some proof of success in the business. Um, for the software companies, they're, they're typically doing more than $5 million of revenue. For the services companies, you know, logistics, transportation, et cetera, usually they're making more than $5 million of profit or EBITDA, but there's some kind of financial foundation of success. And then the fourth is they've got to be looking for a partner uh, for the right reasons. There's some people that are looking for money just because they want whatever, you know, whatever money they can get. And that's not the same thing as looking for a partner that can help you grow. Now, mm. I don't want to <clears throat> overstate this because right. I think a lot of investors – who say they're value added or not. Uh, and, and I know as an entrepreneur, the last thing you want is somebody that thinks they know all about your business telling you what to do and, and they know less than you and that's terrible. But a real value added partner, which is what we strive to be, is someone that could be a good listener, a good partner, could help with introductions or with technology or with recruiting or, or whatever our CEOs need. So those are the four things that we look for. And when we find those, you know, we go all in. That's when the magic happens. That's it. <clears throat> so what's, what has been one of your favorite or maybe most impactful deals that you've done to date? Well, I mean, Green Screens is a pretty good example. Okay. Green Screens was amazing technology. So this was a company that had uh, AI that would allow you to figure out what the rate should be on a particular lane, right? I've got a truckload of freight to ship from... LA to Miami, you know, what should the cost be? Now, historically, how do we all do pricing? Well, some of it's just guessing what the market should be. Some of it's looking at data, and there are a variety of, the, of, of, you know, load boards and systems that are out there. But the problem is, usually that's backwards looking, right? So it's like a market average, you know, over the last two weeks or the last month. And that doesn't really help you in a market where pricing goes up and down. If you've got volatile pricing, you want to know what the price should be today, not what it was last month. Right. I mean, think about it in the stock market. If I said to you, hey, uh, uh, you want to buy some shares in Google and you could buy it at whatever the market was last month, you'd say, Ben, that's crazy. I mean, why the hell would I pay last month's price? <laughs> I, I, I want to know what the market is right now. <laughs> right, 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 right. So why should truck brokerage, you know, why should uh, truck pricing be any different? So Green Screens had this great idea, which is, if we take your data and we feed it to software, to AI-powered software, it could tell you on a real-time basis based on your specs, your origin, your destination, your, you know, the, the specific quantities and, and uh, characteristics of what you're shipping, 
tells you exactly what the price should be right now. And kind of like, I mean, if you followed some of the noise about chat GPT. For sure. How, how right? can you not? How can you not, right? <laughs> Guess what? The more you use it, the more you train it to get better. Mm. And that's the same thing with the AI that green screens uses, just like with chat GPT. Got so it. the more volume you put into it, the more accurate it becomes. So what we found was... All right, guys, Truck and Hustle has now partnered with Transpo CFO, powered by Venning. Transpo CFO offers a streamlined monthly subscription for businesses to consolidate their accounting, payroll, and tax needs into one flat monthly rate, saving businesses a tremendous amount of time and money while making their financial operations much smoother for the long road ahead. Check out Transpo CFO in the description below and tell them Truck and Hustle sent you. Now let's get back to the show. Um, truck brokerage companies like NFI and others that were using the software found that their error rate for the pricing diminished by over 80%. They became so much more accurate because of the power of AI. So I looked at this technology and said, this is great. What they were missing was uh, sales, marketing, and go-to-market. They had a team of brilliant engineers in Vilnius, Lithuania, <laughs> and they had a CEO and a founder who's a brilliant, uh, a brilliant guy, uh, but from Russia, and he was not a U.S. logistics guy. So, so I, my, my observation was if you build out a U.S. team with sales and marketing and operations that understands U.S. transportation and logistics, you could do amazing things with this technology. So I got involved, uh, invested, came on as chairman, helped recruit a, a fantastic team of people led by the CEO, Don Salvucci Favier, who has just done an amazing job. And they now have 80 of the top 150 or so truck brokers, up from one oh, wow. a year and a half ago. Wow. And, and they're crushing it. So, But in the end, you know, the credit goes to them, not me. It's a great team. And they figured out how to, how to scale up. You know, but what did we do? We saw there was great technology. We saw there was great potential. We knew how truck brokerage companies could benefit from it. And then we helped build out a team and helped focus on the one thing, which was pricing, that these guys could do better than anybody. Got it. That's amazing. What, what are some red flags that you look for when potentially uh, looking to work with a company? Well, uh, I've made plenty of mistakes. And <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it, it works and sometimes it doesn't. That's the nature of the investing business. But here are some of the red flags. One is um, when a founder says, well, uh, I'm, I'm really just looking for money. Again, I, there's lots of money out there. But if you don't have a good reason to seek out the right partner, then we shouldn't be there, right? If it's just about money, you know, there are, there are lots of places to get it. So I think, I think that's one. Two is, related to that, um, I, I believe, as Mark Andreessen has said in the, in the slogan, often wrong, but never in doubt, right? Like, I think, I think great founders always have to have a point of view, but then they also have to be willing to change their mind when they get facts or data that, that suggests otherwise. Right. Um, a lot of times, a, a founder that isn't willing to change his or her mind based on you know, facts or data, not a good profile for a successful founder. Because building a business is hard. And you might think you have all the answers, but you don't. And, and so, so to me, uh, it's okay to you know, be often wrong, but never in doubt, as long as you know that you're often wrong. And therefore, you got to be a good listener. So someone that doesn't have great listening skills and isn't willing to reconsider whether they're going down the right direction, big red flag. And then the third is um, just unwillingness to share. Okay, so, I mean, 
when I was a founder of my first company, Threeplex, I thought everything we did was super proprietary and right. important. And if someone was asking me a question that I thought they might be a competitor, I didn't want to answer it. And that was naive and stupid of me, right? <laughs> you know why? Because in the end, what we think is important is not always the thing that matters the most. And what we think is proprietary is often really hard to do. So much of life, I mean, you know, truck and hustle. I mean, so much of life comes down to hustle. That's how right. hard are you willing to work? How good are you at executing? And so the founder that doesn't want to be transparent about his or her business because they think it's proprietary, I'm not looking to discover somebody's deepest, darkest secrets. I'm just trying to figure out how does the business work? How does it succeed? And is it something that, that makes sense for us? And if someone isn't willing to be transparent about that, it just it, it signifies that we're, we're not likely to be a, a good fit. And, and, so, and also, let's keep in mind, we're talking about logistics and supply chain and technology. We're not talking about the nuclear codes, right? <laughs> so, so transparency right. really right. matters. For sure. When you start uh, digging into the financials of, of a company, what are the most important line items that you, that you kind of look for? Well, I think so, so, and it depends on whether it's a software company or yeah, right. a Correct. services company, you know, yeah. or logistics or freight forwarding or truck brokerage or, or whatever. But uh, for, in all cases, I mean, number one is it starts with the growth of the business. Is the growth engine healthy? Mm. So uh, software companies are usually looking at really high growth, you know, I mean, 100% plus growth. Services companies, maybe it's 20% plus, but there's got to be a, a healthy motor there in the, in the beginning. That's one. Right. Two is do the unit economics make sense, right? And so for logistics companies, it's about profit margin. For the software companies, they don't have to be profitable, but they have to have good unit economics. What do I mean? Well, you know, for a software company, one thing that we'll look at is what's the contribution margin for every dollar of revenue that, that comes in, you know, uh, how much of it do you have to spend on cost of goods sold to deliver the service? And then how much do you keep that gets to pay for your, R&D and your sales and marketing and everything else. Mm. Good software company, a good SaaS company could have over 80% contribution margin. Green screens is over 90%. Uh, that doesn't mean that's the case for every company, but again, unit economics. Um, the third is, is there any concentration, right? I mean, if one of the best companies that I ever worked with was Newbreed. Uh, Newbreed was a contract logistics company. And when I first met them nearly 20 years ago, the majority of their business was with the US Postal Service. Then they won Verizon as a customer, and then Verizon was nearly half the business. Now, you could get scared by that, and many people were, but Newbreed had one mitigating factor, long-term contracts. Verizon was, I think, a 10-year contract. Mm. Guess what? Newbreed scaled up from small to very large and ultimately sold for over $600 million to XPO. So, oh, wow. so sometimes you can solve for that concentration, but it's a risk. And you got to be mindful of that. So those are three things that I look for. Got you. Can, can you give me an example of an investment that kind of went awry or went, didn't go the way that you expected it to go? Maybe it looked bright, but, you know, that wasn't the case when you kind of got into it. Yeah, I mean, lots of them. I mean, you don't got to name names. But, you know. uh, I'll, I'll name names. I, the worst deal I ever did. Yeah, the worst actually, deal you ever did. That's I'm a logistics guy. Okay. And most of what I've done, I've stayed in my lane. Okay. okay. I strayed from it once and, and, and I shouldn't have. Uh, I raised 80 million and created a SPAC, a public acquisition vehicle, 10 years ago. And we looked at a lot of different companies. And we ended up picking a technology company. It wasn't in logistics because you were allowed, it was a go-anywhere vehicle. It was a company in cybersecurity. And it had tripled the prior year and tripled the year before that. And it looked amazing. Well, but it was cybersecurity. 
I hired, we had lots of professionals, you know, fairness, opinion, quality verdicts, due diligence, but I didn't know these guys personally before the deal. And, and so yeah, you had to rely on, on your, all your due diligence resources. Right. Fine. We invested in the company. Five months later, their auditors at BDO restated all of their financials. Oh, wow. I mean, oh, man. <laughs> this is terrible, right? And, and uh, you know, there's a saying on Wall Street, there's something called the, the cockroach effect. You know what the cock- cockroach effect I haven't, haven't heard of that one before. Yeah. You ever see a cockroach in your house? You know what comes next? No, no, no. sir. <laughs> All right. Well, no, that makes one of us because I have. And uh, guess what? When there's one, there's usually more than one. For sure. Right? So, you know, the saying Wall Street cockroach effect, when a company restates earnings, usually it means there are other bad things that are going on. Mm. And, and so, so, listen, sure enough, turned out that these were guys that in hindsight, I wouldn't have picked as partners and I wouldn't have... It didn't matter what the numbers were. I just it, it turned out that these just weren't people that that were good partners. Right. And 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 I learned a lot from. I mean, this is you know close to a decade ago, but but still a a searingly painful experience because I lost money and I went through all these battles and you know public company and just a lot of hell. But the lessons for me were one: stay in your lane. For me, that's logistics and supply chain. Yeah. Two. Focus on private companies, not public, and private deals, not public, because you just you have you have more room to to move in in in, in a private than than in a public situation. You've got all this scrutiny, all this liability, and all this pressure on the public side that you don't have in private. Uh, and number three is while doing all the diligence in the world is is important, and you have to do that, it's a lot more likely that you'll find a problem. If you already know the people or you're one degree removed, which kind of comes back to the first point about stay in your lane. And yeah. so I've followed those principles since then. And I, I, I can't guarantee that we'll never have another terrible deal like that. But <laughs> our batting average has been a hell of a lot better. For sure. For sure. Yeah, that's super important. Sticking to your core competencies. Do, do, have you ever seen a, an example where somebody, you know, doesn't stick to their core competencies and it kind of works out for them? I mean, sure, but it's kind of like the <laughs> blind squirrel that catches the that catches the right. nut every right? now and again, right? You're gonna you're gonna catch one, exactly. but typically you want to definitely stay in your lane. What, what's your, what's your outlook on uh, supply chain right now? Um, the industry overall. What are you excited about? What are you fearful of? I'm bullish. I think the I'll tell you. So we had our annual conference two weeks ago in Palm Beach at the Breakers, the 17th annual BJSA Supply Chain Conference, and. You know, over 350 CEOs there. I'll share with you a couple things that I learned, okay. a couple things that might be interesting for, for everybody listening, and a couple of areas that, that, that I think are pretty exciting. So number one, uh, we're in a freight recession. There's no doubt about it. We, we all know it. Everybody that's, that's listening knows it. The freight rates and across the boards, you know, certainly, you know, truckload in particular, everything's been hit pretty hard. But the interesting thing is, I think we're at or near the bottom. Uh, we had a panel of, of trucking CEOs you know, including the CEOs of Werner, Estes, YRC, Covenant. Um, I'm forgetting somebody. I, I hope I, I, I'll, I'll have offended uh, from this. But uh, <laughs> right. all these great leaders and their consensus feedback on that panel was, we think we're at the bottom and we think second half of 2023, we're, we're going to see a rebound in rates and, and rebound in, in, in growth and uh, in, in the freight world. And I think that's right. So, so I think that's one interesting takeaway. Second interesting takeaway is the deal environment. You know, are we going through a bad time? Yes. I mean, financial markets, 
you know, the stock market, I mean, the NASDAQ was down, I think, 30% last year. Uh, we have an index of publicly traded transportation logistics companies, the BGSA Supply Chain Index. That was down 15% last year. You know, we've got 9% inflation and GDP is about, growth is about zero. All these bad things. But guess what? Um, in the deal world, our survey of the majority of, of, uh, of the 350-plus CEOs that were there, um, bell curve of predictions, the midpoint being we'll have the same level of deal activity this year than last year, and about an equal amount that said more as that said less. The, the, the chart is, is strikingly symmetrical. So uh, we're expecting to see a lot of deal activity, especially for mid-sized companies, small mid-sized, you know, 20 to $200 million or so valued deals. Um, not these huge multi-billion dollar deals that are dependent on massive amounts of bank financing, which may not be possible. But these small and mid-sized deals, we're going to see a lot of it, I, I believe. Mm. And then the third thing is technology. It's interesting. Our conference, 17 years ago when it began, you had a trucking panel, you had a logistics panel, you had an international supply chain panel, and then nobody was really that interested in technology. They were kind of the, the nerds in the corner. And, uh, and guess what? You know, those, those nerds in the corner, they're now... Now the majority, right? Exactly, exactly. You know, we're, we're all, I guess we're all logistics nerds now, For software sure. nerds now. So, so that was a theme throughout. Software, technology, innovation, it was a part of every panel. And I think you can't run a company in this industry and not be either uh, a major user uh, of, of technology or creator of technology or, or otherwise an important innovator. And so I think we're going to see more and more of that. And there's innovation in a lot of different areas. Some things that, that we're involved with at Cambridge, software for e-commerce fulfillment, like Bird in, in Europe, uh, reverse logistics, how do I get things back? Right. Uh, reverse That's logics, big. yeah. Uh, last mile, like Bring. Um, uh, uh, predictive pricing, like we've talked about with green screens. Uh, like there are all these areas of innovation that, that we see and that we're excited about. So I think those are some of the themes that stand out for me. Got it. What are, what are some of the things that you're fearful of? Those are all great things and kind of the positive side, but what, what's the downside? Well, one is I worry about the things I can't control uh, because who knows what will happen. You know, recession, you know, will we plunge into a recession? Will the Fed uh, keep interest rates too high? Uh, which means that there's less money available, which ultimately, you know, as the saying goes, the, uh, the Fed takes the punch bowl away whenever the party gets going. So, <laughs> you know, they've done that. So, like, you know, how, how aggressive will, will they be and does that plunge us into a recession or not? Uh, another thing I worry about, look, I mean, the, the war in Ukraine and, and, you know, what Russia does, there are all these unknowns out, out there in the world. But, but the things that I focus most on are what are, what are the things that I can control? I worry about things, for example, for our own portfolio companies, which is, hey, if you're in a freight recession and you're in the freight business, you got to figure out how to take cost out. So are we taking out enough cost on the one hand? On the other hand, uh, you want to make sure you're cutting fat, not muscle, because when those freight markets return, you'd hate to be in a position where you can't capitalize on those. And if you don't have the right people in the right places, then you can't take advantage of the growth. So I worry, do we get that balance right, you know, in terms of cutting versus being ready to grow and the, you know, the, the, the fat versus muscle. Mm. Uh, I worry on the technology side, our innovative companies, they're great, but they're not the only ones that see it. So, you know, anytime you do something that's successful, people watch it, they'll copy you. Yeah. And, and so, you know, who are the copycats out there? Who are the brilliant 
uh, innovators out there that are going to come after uh, the companies that we've invested in that might be doing great now, but won't be great tomorrow if they don't keep staying in front of the market. So those are the things I worry about. Got it. I'm curious about this. Obviously, you, you do a ton of deals. When some of these larger companies start consolidating and buying you know, other mid-sized companies and they you know, take, take up more market share, right? Is, is that good for the industry or is that bad? How do you, how do you see that? Well, it all depends on, it depends on a couple things. Somebody that's consolidating, that's bringing high quality service or otherwise improving the experience, that's great for the industry. I mean, good example of that would be, um, here's a controversial one. Uh, uh, in the world of freight forwarding, there are a lot of freight forwarders that have been complaining about how expensive their software is. So WiseTech, which is really the market leader in freight forwarding software, has taken a lot of flack in the few months because you know they're increasing rates. Okay, well, I had the chance to interview their CEO, Richard White. He's built an $18 billion company in freight forwarding software. <laughs> okay. Interviewed him at, at our conference two weeks ago. And, and uh, one thing that stood out to me was, so this guy's bought over 60 companies in freight forwarding software. Um, but guess what? He has done such a great job of automating the process and stripping out inefficiency and using software to make these freight forwarders more productive that that consolidation has been great for the customers that have benefited from that. Guess what? The prices have gone up, but the costs have come down by a greater extent. He's just made things more automated, more efficient. So look, I think if you do consolidation right, everybody wins. Now, that's not always the case because on the other hand, if in the airline industry, for example, um, you know, the JetBlue acquisition of, of Spirit it was proposed, hasn't yet been approved. One right. reason why is the FAA is saying, hey, if these guys do it, are they going to jack up rates because you only have one choice on a, on a lane? And in which case the consumer loses. So listen, if the only reason for consolidation is to increase prices without improving the customer experience, then that's bad for the market. So I think it all comes down to whether you're in the first camp or the second camp, whether you're taking out costs and making the customer's life better or not. Got it. <clears throat> There's a ton, tons of startups in the technology space. I mean, we're here at Manifest now. We see a bunch of them, right? But it seems as though a lot of them are solving the same problems, right? As I kind of go around, I'm kind of seeing a lot of redundancy, yeah. right? What, what, what is your advice to some of these startups and people who are looking to start companies in the tech space? Like, how can they stand out? How can they differentiate themselves from everybody else? I think there are a lot of people that say think big, but sometimes it's better to think small. Think about the one thing that you could do better than anybody else mm. and then really nail it. I mean, as an example, when I talked with Richard White at WiseTech, again, this guy built one of the largest companies in our entire industry. How did he do it? Well, he started by doing something that sounds unbelievably tedious, but super important. He just mapped out the workflows of the freight forwarders that he worked with in Australia back in the early 90s and, you know, painstakingly mapped out exactly what happened when, you know, the, the flow charting, and then figured out how can I use software to automate this one little step. And so one little step at a time, uh, you know, the credo that, that Richard wrote for his company, and it's really for software engineers, very inspirational is we will change the world one line of code at a time. Okay. <laughs> right. So he's doing one thing really precisely, but but because he did that one thing really well, he ended up building the most valuable company in his, in his arena. So I think, think big, 
can be motivational, but sometimes better to think small, do one thing really well. I love that. I definitely agree with that. Um, I think of like Calendly, for example, right? Very small problem that's being solved, but billion dollar company, right? Just yes. off of scheduling. Exactly. Right. Simple problem. Exactly. Um, so what I'm an ideas guy, right? So what are some pain points that you see? Do you have any ideas? I know you see tons of companies and tons of ideas, but what's yeah. a pain point that kind of speak into what you're saying that somebody go out there and solve right now? If they can solve this problem, that will make an impact. Well, I think there's still a lot of pain points. I mean, it's easy to sit back and, and be overwhelmed. Look at all the money. There's, you know, I think 20 billion that went into venture capital investment and supply chain technology and all these smart people. Where can I go? How can I make a difference? But the reality is all you got to do is look at where there's a problem and say, how can I do this better? A um, lot of examples. I'll, I'll give you a couple. You a few, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Here's one. Um, the, the, the realm of factoring. Okay. So an awful lot of trucking companies and freight brokerage companies pay factoring. And, you know, it might sound like not a lot of money, you know, two, three, four points for a month. Well, on an annualized basis, you know, that, that could be 25 to 50% or higher as an annual interest rate, which is pretty damn near usurious. So um, there are lots of companies in the factoring world, but there's still opportunities to make it better, automate more, give, give the trucking company or the freight brokerage company better experience. So I think like that's an area that I think is ripe for improvement. Second area that I think is ripe for improvement, just like where money sits in the logistics world. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I was a seed stage investor in a company called RoadSync, uh, which was automating the lumping process, you know, when the truck pulls in and the guy unloads the freight. Yeah. That lumping process historically was often handled with cash, which meant that there was a lot of, uh, you know, loss or theft or, or other problems. And they're, they're doing a great job of automating that. Well, there are other places where money and the, the flow of money could be automated throughout the, the supply chain arena. So I think that's interesting. Um, here's a third one. Uh, it's still kind of a holy grail. Every trucking company would love to have continuous utilization, right? And so one of the things that we tried to do 24 years ago with my first startup, 3Plex, was create a, uh, an algorithm so that you could bid on bundles of lanes so that I could bid on whatever, Chicago to Dallas, Dallas to Atlanta, Atlanta to D.C., D.C. to Boston, and then Boston back to Chicago. And if I'm doing that on a continuous basis, I'm always full. Finding a way to, and, and by the way, it proved to be too hard, so we, we didn't solve it, uh, obviously, or else you'd, you'd probably know about it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. like, how to improve utilization in trucking still a holy grail. So those are three examples, but, I mean, you and I could brainstorm and come up with hundreds of others. I think come back to the, the credo of think small and focus on one real problem. Yeah, no, nah, that's amazing. Actually, Robin Gregg was on the show from RoadSync, so we're familiar with, uh, Excellent. Familiar with that for Love sure. Robin. Yeah, great, great, great woman. Um, what do you think about sustainability, um, lowering the carbon footprint and logistics? What, what's your thoughts around that? I know that's a big conversation. Now. Yeah, yeah. Listen, it's, it's one of those things that's important, but as someone said to, to me, it's like nailing jello to the wall, right? <laughs> How the hell do I do that? And, and here's my opinion, okay? Um, it, look, first of all, sustainability clearly matters. I mean, regardless of your political point of view, uh, it, there, there's no doubt that, that we would all be better off if we lived in a world with less pollution, uh, less, less, uh, you know, carbon being created, less, le less toxins, less of everything. For sure. And there's no doubt that transportation is a big contributor to all of those problems. So the question is, how do you fix it and who pays for it? And, and, uh, <laughs> right. right. I mean, because we could all agree those are good things, but, but if, if there's no way to Somebody pay for it, it doesn't happen. For Somebody sure. Pay for it. So, so look, I think one logistics companies are already doing 
part of, of what helps to bring about sustainability. If you make supply chains more efficient, and that means that trucks operate more full, more frequently, you know, you're reducing carbon footprint. You might not be doing it in as eye-catching a way as Elon Musk and, and you know, electrifying the whole supply chain or, you know, or, or these other moonshots. But, but making supply chains more efficient is one way to do it. Uh, I think another important uh, part of sustainability is you got to track it. What gets measured gets done. That's right. So I think companies that can do a better job of tracking what's, you know, like, I mean, it's easy to tell for, you know, truck, where, miles per gallon and, and emissions. Uh, but can you track... Uh, you know, your, your fleet management metrics and other ways. Find other ways to measure what that carbon you know, footprint is and therefore how to improve it. And then third, there are technologies. Look, California is mandating all kinds of things like, yeah, I mean. Everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever could be mandated, California's doing it. <laughs> and that's a, that's a problem. I mean, if I'm an operator in California, I'm, I'm going through hell right now figuring right. out how to comply. Right. Uh, but, you know, there, there are ways to create free market incentives to encourage more. And I think, I mean, as an example, we could be creating tax incentives to make it cheaper to buy electric. We could be creating tax incentives to reward companies that find a way to reduce their emissions. Like there are, there are carrots and sticks here. So uh, I think there's still a, a lot more to do. And actually, uh, the companies that we invest in uh, are all involved in sustainability in some way. I'll give you an example since we've talked about California. One of our companies is Boa Logistics. They're based in LA. They do LTL consolidation for the food sector. Well, if you take LTL shipments and consolidate them into full truckloads, you're squeezing inefficiency out. Ultimately, more freight is being shipped on a smaller number of trucks uh, with, with less, uh, less empty space in, in the vehicle. Again, is that as sexy as... as uh, you know, converting your truck to hydrogen, you know, no, <laughs> but it makes a difference. So right. I think squeezing out those inefficiencies is something that, that uh, is an obvious way to improve the carbon footprint for supply chains. For sure. I love that. What advice do you have for up and coming, up and coming investor who's looking to be you in the next 20 years? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Was it Charles Barkley who said, I'm not a role model? I, I don't know. <laughs> That's right. He did say yeah. that. He did yeah. say that. So what I, would you tell him? But what I would say is, is listen, number one, uh, focus on one thing and doing one thing well. I think my, my view, everything I've tried to do is I've tried to be a specialist, not a generalist. I never thought I could be smarter in biotech or industrial manufacturing or these other areas, but I figured I'm going to focus on supply chain and try to learn as much as I can and therefore be uh, the, the most effective a partner, investor, and, and, and business builder. I think, so number one is focus. Uh, I think number two is, is be humble and acknowledge what you don't know. Mm. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I wish, so I, I wish that the Ben of 25 years ago had, had, had met this version and knew all the things that I could screw up and all the reasons to be humble and all the reasons to know that I didn't have all the answers. I think the, the smartest people that I know are curious and humble. At our conference two weeks ago, John Scully was there. John famously ran Apple and has gone on to run several other companies. And I asked John, what's the number and characteristic of the most successful people you know? And he said, without a question, it's curiosity. So being curious, knowing what you don't know, being a good listener, and just paying attention. I think that's, that's huge. And then the last is um, try to surround yourself with people that can complement you in way, different ways, that are better than you in certain areas. I mean, look, in my case, um, I mean, I was always an entrepreneur. I built five companies. So having people on my team that were 
operators and then had the operational experience and discipline around that was important. Having people on my team who were seasoned investors who had invested billion dollars plus in supply chain and technology and other businesses was important. In the end, it's about the team and, and about having complementarity all around. So those would be my three suggestions. I love it. Who's a, give, give me another leader in, the, in supply chain that you look up to that should be on this show. Well, I mean, Brad Jacobs, for sure. Okay. Brad Jacobs built XPO from nothing to a $20 billion business, although it then went back into a series of, he spun out GXO and RXO and others. But look, Brad figured out how to consolidate a fragmented industry, create value. Uh, it was not easy and it's still not easy. And, and, and uh, there's, there's a lot more to unpack, but you know, he was a, you know, bold entrepreneur who went for it and, and did some things that a lot of people thought couldn't be done. Was it perfect? No, but, but you know, over, over a decade, really successful. Got it. And I'd be, t uh, I'd be remiss not to mention that you definitely do a lot of philanthropy as well as community building. How important is philanthropy and, and, and community to you? Oh, it's huge. I mean, listen, the, the, there's one, of, one of the slogans that means a lot to me is, how do you go from success to significance? right? Success is you build a business, you make money, you take care of your family. But significance is you live in accordance with a set of values that hopefully um, sets a standard for your kids, your friends, your family, and that, and that lives on beyond you, that creates legacy. And so for me, I mean, one thing that's important to me right now is how we can use logistics and supply chain to make the world a better place. When we invested in Everest a year and a half ago, Everest had 150 employees in Ukraine. And so after Russia invaded on February 24th, this created a humanitarian crisis. And for me, priority one was let's do everything we can to make sure that our team is safe, evacuating the people that wanted to be evacuated, relocating elsewhere, like to the west of Ukraine, those that, uh, for which that could be done. And then the next thing was, how do we get the vital supplies in that these people need? Because Ukraine you know, a country of 40 million people under this horrible onslaught that's really been the, the, uh, the most massive uh, military assault in Europe since World War II, uh, you know, we got to do something to take care. We have a humanitarian obligation. So, so I helped start an organization, the Ukraine Logistics Coalition. We're using logistics to help make the world a better place. We wow. brought in over $20 million of medical supplies, just vital things, you know, needles and syringes and medicines and, and, and other basics to help take, and first aid kits to take care of people in need in Ukraine. Civilians who did nothing to bring this military assault on, and, and I, I think they, they need and deserve all the help that they can get. And supply chain's been important to that. Some of the companies that are here at this conference, for example, like Seco and others, donated freight so that we could bring these medical and other supplies in for free. That's great. That wow. means that if I could go to a hospital and say, you donate a million dollars of medical supplies and a million dollars of medical supplies gets there and there's no other cost, no other friction, that's, that's a big deal. So look, I think people in logistics have a lot to say and do. And I'm actually doing a panel later on today, you know, at two o'clock on, on this very topic. And you can help in a lot of ways. You know, you can help with money. You can help with donations. You can also help by using what you know in, in supply chain. And the Ukraine Logistics Coalition website, logisticscoalition.org, is, is certainly one great way to do it. Got it. What's on the horizon for Cambridge Capital? We're going to keep looking for great companies to back. Uh, we generally look for software companies 
that have the characteristics that I talked about earlier that are innovating, doing something great, typically over five million in, in software revenue, or services companies, different areas of logistics and supply chain, typically doing over five million of profit or EBITDA. Uh, but in all cases, looking for great people, building fantastic businesses. And we would love to find several great new platforms this year. And Certainly for, for those of you listening, if you're interested, feel free to reach out. Or if you know a great company, feel free to reach out. I'm easy to find, you know, on at Cambridge Capital, Ben at CambridgeCapital.com and, and uh, uh, always open to ideas. Beautiful. Traditionally on the show, we always have a final thought. That could be something entrepreneurial, spiritual, wherever you want to go. But it's just a final jewel to leave the audience with. So I'm going to ask you to do that. You also just let everybody know where they connect, can connect with you. So we already took care of that part. But yeah, just leave the audience with a final thought and then we'll wrap it up. I'll let you get out of here. I think the best companies are formed or built during the hardest times. And we, we're in the middle of a freight recession and that's hard. And that's hard for all of us. But if you figure out how to succeed during these conditions, you're going to be super well positioned for next year and beyond. Uh, and so I think this is a time for optimism. It's a time not, not to be blind or naive about the challenges, but to be excited about the fact that, I mean, think about it. Some of the best companies, I mean, I'll go back to one that we talked about on the show, NFI, now $4 billion private company. NFI was forged during the Great Depression in 1932, okay, 91 years ago. So, you know, Make it, make it through this chapter and you're going to be poised for success. And, and there's never been a better time to start a business or build a business or innovate in our industry of logistics and supply chain. And, and for those of you listening who are building something great, feel free to reach out to me. And, and if I could be helpful, uh, recognizing that we're not, we're not the right fit for everybody or everything, but we're very eager to, uh, to support the great companies and great people here in logistics. Got it. Mr. Ben Gordon, founder and CEO of Cambridge Capital, amongst other multiple businesses. Thank you so much for your time, your wisdom today. We appreciate it. Hustle fam, if you smell something burning, it's only your desire. Myself, Mr. Ben Gordon, we are out. If you twisted, confused, or stuck about trucks, don't be dumb. This is the place to come. Truck and hustle. Let's go.